you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, January 17th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, it's another Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast. We answer three Orioles questions coming from you, the listener, here on today's episode. And the three things we're going to address, well, number one, may have been the biggest news of last week from the Orioles, and potentially the biggest news of last week in Major League Baseball, with the Orioles moving back the left field fence about 30 feet, raising it five feet in the air as well, and changing the dimension for Camden Yards for the first time in over 20 years. We got a question about what's that going to do to Orioles hitters, Orioles pitchers, and really how will that change how the park plays as a whole? So we'll dive deep into that in our first segment here on the pod. Then the second question we got today came about the international signing period, which also opened up on Saturday. Orioles made 24 signings on the first day, including shelling out their most amount of money ever to a single player at $1.7 million. They also got a couple of other really exciting guys as well. But a question came about the Orioles and the international market in Asia, because when the Orioles used to not participate in the market in the Dominican Republic, they still did sign their fair share of players from Asia, including obviously Hunsu Kim and Wei Yin Chen, just to name a few. And we're going to talk about will Mike Elias and crew dip into that talent pool moving forward as well. And then our third and final question has to do with the giveaways at Camden Yards and what some of my favorites have been over the years. So that's all coming up on this Mailbag Monday episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day. Locked On Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And remember, it's the only Orioles podcast out there bringing you episodes three days a week even during this offseason, even during this lockout. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure to like, follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you are a listener on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could give a five-star rating to the pod on those apps, that would really, really help out a lot. But again, just wanted to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, it's another Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast, and we are jumping right into it because we've got really the most pertinent question of the week about the Orioles. This came from a listener via email, Patrick, and Patrick asks, what are the changes to Camden Yards going to do to just the way baseball is played and how it looks and essentially the outcomes in the ballpark in 2022 and moving forward. And frankly, we don't know exactly how this is going to change. We don't know precisely, you know, the new measurements and the new wall height. We pretty much know what it's going to look like and feel like. And we've seen the renderings that the Orioles released over the weekend, what the new left field is going to look like. But first of all, if you hadn't heard about the news or didn't know exactly what the Orioles are doing, they are making changes to the dimensions of the ballpark in left field. Of course, historically, Camden Yards has been a top five hitters park in all of Major League Baseball, and a lot of that has always had to do with the short porch in left field. These fences are small, and they are not too far away from home plate, let's be honest. And it was 364 feet to left center field in the power alley, which is one of the shortest markers out to left center in all of baseball. 
it led to a lot of home runs and sometimes some cheap home runs down the line as well. So what the Orioles are planning to do is move the wall back about 30 feet in that left center field gap, and they are also raising the wall by five feet. It initially was a seven-foot-tall wall. It will now be 12 feet off the ground as well and be moved back. Now, obviously, with it being moved back, you have to take some things into account. Well, first of all, it looks like the foul pole down the left field line will not be moved, meaning the very corner down the left field line is still going to be 333 feet away but it's going to jut out more very initially and head farther out into left field, creating not really a pesky's pole like at Fenway Park down the right field line, but something somewhat similar where if you really hook a ball down the line, you can still hit kind of a short liner and get a home run. But where it's really being extended is out into left center field. And now what they also aren't doing is moving the bullpens back, which would obviously take a lot more work on the stadium. So what is going to happen, there's going to be an almost 90-degree angle where the new wall ends and the bullpen begins because the bullpen is actually going to be farther out onto the field than the new home run wall is in left center field. So essentially, if a left fielder is shading over towards left center for a deep fly ball that's heading towards the bullpen, there will actually be a wall essentially to his side and behind him as the wall to his side will be heading into the bullpen and the wall behind him will be heading into the left field stands. It's similar to what there is at PNC Park in Pittsburgh heading into the bullpens. And also it looks somewhat similar to what is at Minute Maid Park in Houston uh, with the Crawford boxes out there in left field as well. Not exactly the same, but those are kind of the, the ideas you get uh, from that. But in terms of what it will do, well, first of all, it's going to frankly lower the number of home runs that are hit to left field, and especially left center field at Oriole Park. And this is what the Orioles wanted to do. Mike Elias spoke to the media on Friday about these changes and talked about how, yeah, you know, specifically this was not trying to, you know, help out certain pitchers on the roster. But what it is going to do is make Camden Yards not a top five hitters park anymore. It's going to be at best maybe more of a middle of the pack ballpark. And it could go down to more of a pitcher's park, depending on how this plays out as the season starts in 2022, because it looks like, you know, it's going to be ready for whenever opening day is when this new season starts. And, you know, some of this is going to really help out the Orioles. And I think it's really interesting to kind of look at how the Orioles are built right now and what the Orioles top crop of prospects looks like as well. So the people this is going to help the most are the pitchers, no doubt about it. There's going to be less home runs hit, especially out to left field. And the people it's going to help the most is going to be left-handed pitchers because, you know, they are generally hit harder by right-handed hitters who are going to hit a lot more home runs to left field. And if you look at the current Orioles roster, obviously you start at the top. Their ace is a lefty in John Means. And Means, who allowed 15 home runs in Camden Yards last year, it looks like that the way the ballpark will be newly set up, that number would drop by at least a handful of home runs. Now, you're not sure because of, you know, what kind of day it could be and, you know, how humid is the air and how, you know, heavy is the ball going to travel and where exactly is this wall going to be. But there's been a couple of people, Alex Fast of Pitcher List, uh, Andrew Perpetua on Twitter as well, has done some good graphics using Baseball Savant trying to 
figure out these, you know, new home run fences and, and you know, how it's going to affect some of these players. But he, he seems to see that it's, you know, three, maybe four uh, plus of the John Means home runs would have stayed in the ballpark. But here's the other thing behind John Means. You look at that second crop of Orioles young starting pitchers who they're trying to figure out, are they starters in the majors, are they relievers in the majors, or are they just not major league pieces? And you've got, you know, all these guys who have already gotten to the majors. Keegan Aiken, Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, Bruce Zimmerman. You've also got, you know, a couple of guys at AAA that, you know, feed that mold, including Kevin Smith. You've got guys coming up your system, like a D.L. Hall, you know, who are all going to be big pieces. Drew Rahm as well, left-handed pitchers who are going to be big pieces in the system moving forward. And all this does is help your left-handed pitchers. Now, here's the other thing. While it helps your pitchers, this is obviously going to hurt your hitters. And we know a guy that this could hurt a little bit is a guy like Ryan Mountcastle, although most of his home runs still would have left the yard last season if the ballpark would have been put in these new dimensions. But here's what else is interesting. If you look through the current crop of Orioles' top prospects in terms of the hitters, Adley Rutschman is obviously a switch hitter, has a lot of pop from the left side and the right side, but can use the whole field. Doesn't really affect him as much because he's not a true righty. Gunnar Henderson, Orioles' second-ranked hitting prospect, is a left-handed hitter. Then you have Colton Kowser, third-ranked hitting prospect, is a left-handed hitter. Then you have Jordan Westbury, of course, is a righty. Then Heston Kerstad, the fifth-ranked hitting prospect, is a left-handed hitter. Then you go down to some other guys in that uh, top mold. How about Kyle Stowers, the reigning Orioles minor league hitter of the year, the uh, co-winner of the award with Adley Rutschman, is a left-handed hitter. Taron Vavra, top 15 prospect, is a left-handed hitter. You know, you go on and on with these guys down the system that the Orioles have and, you know, are hoping to get to the big leagues. It's a lot of left-handed hitters, and it's a good amount of left-handed pitchers as well that they're trying to help out. And, you know, it's still going to help out guys like Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish and Mike Bauman in general too because it's going to help pitchers. And so when you look at how the Orioles are trying to build this team, it looks like they're trying to stack a team at the major league level where you have left-handed arms, you have left-handed bats, and in general, your hitters, as they've always been for the Orioles, are going to be ahead of your pitchers. Now, what kind of ballpark do you want if that's the case? You want to be playing in a pitcher's ballpark to help them out, and you want to be playing in a ballpark where it's much easier to hit a home run to right field than it is to left field. So you break that all down, and yeah, there's plenty of numbers that you know Nathan Ruiz has written about at the Baltimore Sun, and John Mioli has written about in his new newsletter as well over the last week or so about you know how numbers are going to change, and you know which guys uh, you know are going to have more power, less power, which hitters, which pitchers specifically you know would have been helped out had these changes been in place this season. But I think just looking at who the Orioles have coming to the big leagues and who is already on the roster can, you know, inspire these changes. And looking at the work from Andrew Perpetua on Twitter, you can follow him at Andrew Perpetua, just putting out uh, some some really good graphs about this, you know, change in the ballpark. And, you know, he looked at the home runs and he looked at the new dimensions and he said potentially about a 47% reduction in home runs to left field in the new ballpark if balls that were hit this year get hit there next year. So basically half the balls that get hit to left that end up being home runs in the past at Camden Yards 
will now potentially not be home runs. That's a lot of runs off the board. And when you have a power right-handed hitter like Ryan Mountcastle, who's still hitting most of his home runs, you know, I think over 80% of his homers still would have been bombs to left field at Camden Yards, and you're grooming a lot of young left-handed hitters, including Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, and others, and you're trying to just have a better park for pitchers because your pitchers are still, you know, maybe lagging behind a little bit. This all comes together as a win for the Orioles. And if you look at this rendering, it's believed that some of the parts in left field, kind of between the left field line and the left center field power alley, is going to be the deepest left field in all of Major League Baseball in terms of where the fence is. You put that together with, you know, the extensions everywhere in the park. Oriole Park at Camden Yards, I think, is going to be considered a pitcher's ballpark once this is all said and done. Now, it's not going to be, you know, San Francisco or the number one pitcher's park in the bigs. There's still going to be a lot of home runs hit to right field. But I think it's going to go in terms of hitter's ballparks. It's going to be in the bottom half. It might be, when it's all said and done, a top 10 pitcher's park at some point. I think that's what the Orioles are trying to change for a while they were winning with, we have a million home run hitters in the lineup. I mean, obviously the 2016 team is a big part of this. We have guys who can get outs in the bullpen sometimes, not great pitching, but we're going to hit a bunch of homers, we're going to set home run records, and we're going to outscore you. Mike Elias and his staff have come in, and they said, maybe we can alter the ballpark to help the roster. And if you think about it, this really isn't something that's been done by any other team. I mean, the biggest ballpark alteration you can think of over the last couple of years is the Astros getting rid of Towels Hill uh, in straightaway center field, but that was more of a kind of a safety thing and just trying to make it a little bit more like other ballparks. Now, you think about what the O's are doing, and yes, other teams have moved in the fences a little bit to try to help, but to specifically identify one part of the field, left field, left center field, that has really hurt you, you know, in the past. And to change things to help you moving forward with how this roster is put together. Now, Mike Elias didn't, you know, come out and say, hey, we're doing this exactly to help these certain players on our team. But he talked about how he would like to bring the ballpark more so to an average park than the extreme hitters park that it has been. And I think that's going to help the roster he has because, you know, it's not like he's moving it back in right field, too. This is just in left field where the issues have been. And altogether, this could be maybe a little bit of. You know, chestnut checkers being played by the Orioles. And I get, you know, not wanting to change the most beautiful ballpark in baseball. I get it. But the aesthetic of Camden Yards is not about where the fences are. It's about the views you get in the park and, and just walking around the stadium. And, you know, it's sitting where it is in the city. And, you know, just watching a game and, and seeing the, the city skyline, you know, across from you. And just the way that the ballpark is set up and where the seats are. Now, the park's going to lose about 1,000 seats because the wall's being pushed back in left field. Mike Elias said uh, they're going to auction off those seats as part of a charity event in the future. But other than that, I mean, that I think is the biggest drawback only, that Camden Yards is going to lose 1,000 seats. And I think at some point they're going to put those seats, you know, not those exact seats, but maybe add some seats somewhere else. But other than that, if the Orioles think this is going to give them an advantage and it's going to help out their pitchers, and you know what? It gives Oriole Park another quirk. And I think the great thing about Major League ballparks is that they all have quirks. It's not like an NFL stadium where every single one might have little different things. And there's some domes and some that are outside. But the field is exactly the same, the field of play. And the way the stadiums are set up are all kind of basically the same. Same thing with, you know, an NBA arena, NHL rink. 
you know, all the stadiums are pretty much the same. There's not many people who have bucket lists of going and, and checking off, you know, every single stadium in other leagues. But it does happen in baseball because every stadium is different and every field dimensions is different and every place and every park has their own quirks. And I like this quirk with the little jut out in the bullpen in left center field. I think it's going to be interesting uh, to watch how it plays out. But I will say, you know, this isn't just the Orioles saying, ah, let's do this. There's definitely a lot of data backing up this move, moving these fences back about 30 feet. So we'll see how it changes the park. But I will say, brace yourself for the Orioles no longer playing in potentially the top home run park in all of baseball. But the fence being moved back wasn't the only big news of the week. Also, the international signing period started. Orioles signed a lot of players on Saturday, and it was an exciting day seeing the O's finally involved again and again in the market in the Dominican Republic and other countries in South and Central America. But coming up next, we'll answer one question about the continent of Asia, where the Orioles have gotten some players and gotten some good production from in the past, and about if Mike Elias and his regime will head over to Asia once again, maybe start signing players from there like Dan Duquette did for a while during his tenure. That's coming up after the break. So we'll get to our second mailbag question of the day in just a second. But first, it's the new year. So that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar, or maybe even better than a candy bar. It's got all those delicious flavors, coconut, almond, peanut butter, brownie, cookies and cream, salted caramel, many, many more. And they're also always coming out with new delicious flavors as well. And Built Bar, they make it easy to stick to your resolution because you eat it, it's delicious, it tastes amazing. You forget it's a protein bar because it's not chalky, it's not waxy, and it actually tastes good. You're eating healthy, but it's covered in 100% chocolate, it's delicious, and each bar only 130 calories, and each bar has over 17 grams of protein. So if you want to get your hands on these delicious and nutritious protein bars, go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So our second question here on a Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast comes from Stephen Robertson via Twitter. Stephen, thank you so much for sending in a question. He says, will the Orioles look to Asia for further international signings and sites you know, that the O's used to do this under the Dan Duquette regime and asked, do you think the Orioles now under Elias will do it once again over the next couple of years? And first of all, you know, obviously you do have to give a shout out to Dan Duquette and his regime for what they were able to do in various Asian countries in terms of identifying talent. Now they weren't signing anyone out of the Dominican Republic. They were signing a few players out of, you know, maybe Curacao and Cuba, but they were not anywhere close to anything that any other team was doing in the international market. But they got talent from Asia. And obviously, the big two names were Wei In Chen and Hunsu Kim. Of course, Chen came over before the 2012 season. And Chen was really interesting because Chen came over the same year from Taiwan that Yu Darvish came over from Japan. And Yu Darvish was the huge, huge name coming over from Asia. But... Wei and Chen just kind of settled in nicely. And obviously he was never Yu Darvish, but he gave the Orioles a lot of really good innings from 2012 through 2015. 
Of course, he signed that big deal with the Marlins after that. It was kind of a disaster, and he has ended up pitching professionally once again back in Asia, never even finished out that contract with the Marlins because of ineffectiveness and injury. But he was pretty good with the Orioles and pretty consistent for a while there as well, and the Orioles got some really good talent. Then, of course, there's Hunsu Kim, who didn't hang around too, too long, but the Orioles signed him out of the KBO in Korea, and he had, you know, the fantastic 2016 season helping the O's to the playoffs, and, you know, stuck around for a bit of 2017 before the Orioles, for some reason, traded him to Philly in that Jeremy Hellickson deal, but he is now back in Korea and has done fantastic things with the LG Twins once again, but he was a good pickup for that team as well. And then you also have a couple of other guys who never got to the bigs with the Orioles, but were kind of, you know, at least heavily talked about signings when they happened as well under Dan Duquette. One was Tsuyoshi Wada, who the Orioles signed right around the time that they signed Wei Yin Chen. They also signed Wada in December of 2011 out of Japan. And he came over to the Orioles and, you know, was not as major league ready as Chen. And so he went to AAA and just pretty much immediately got injured. And missed that whole 2012 season. He was already 31 years old. And the Orioles were hoping he would be a big league piece. And he did return in 2013 after the injury. And it wasn't bad. He he was in AAA, you know, 19 starts. He had a 4.03 ERA. I actually always thought that Wada would get a chance late in 2013 with the Orioles. But he never did get to the big leagues with Baltimore. He was granted free agency. And then he did sign with the Cubs. And he pitched in the big leagues with the Cubs in 2014 and 2015. And actually ended up with some pretty good stats. He had a 3.36 career Major League ERA and about 102 innings over two seasons with Chicago. But uh, after age 34 in 2015, uh, he was done in the Major Leagues. And he seemed like, honestly, a pretty good signing for the O's as well. And if Wada didn't get injured in that first season here in 2012, I think he would have pitched in the big leagues with Baltimore. He was a solid left-hander. And he was already a veteran guy who had pitched professionally in Japan. And then there was also uh, Ichizu as well. If you remember him, he was uh, the player that the Orioles signed out of China. He was the first player from one of Major League Baseball's three development centers in China to sign with a Major League team as the O's signed him in July of 2015. And he kind of made his way through the Orioles system, played in the GCL, played in Aberdeen. Uh, but he was released once the new regime took over. Orioles released him in March of 2019, and he is now uh, still playing professionally uh, over in Japan. Not in the NPB, but he is in an independent baseball league over there. But the O's, you know, signed some big names out of Asia. Now, that hasn't happened as much in the three years since Mike Elias has taken over. Obviously, the Orioles, you know, we heard from Dan Duquette. You know, they were not going to be involved in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes, and he eventually signs with the Angels, and he is one of the best players we have ever seen. But even in the past couple of years, the Orioles have not been involved, and I think some of that has to do with the money and the fact that they have shown they're willing to just not spend, really, at all. And that includes domestic players and foreign players as well. And guys like ha Sung Kim, who came over from the KBO and signed with the Padres, Guys like Shun Yamaguchi, the reliever who signed with the Blue Jays last year. Um, you know, you have plenty of guys who have come over to the U.S. over the last couple of years. Shogo Akiyama as well, who signed with the Reds last season. But the Orioles have just not been involved. And obviously, the big name this year is Seiya Suzuki, uh, who is coming over from the NPB. 
And, you know, we thought there might be a couple more names coming from the KBO this season, but maybe not the case. And I don't think the Orioles are involved with trying to sign Suzuki either, who looks like he's going to be a pretty important uh, major league player. But I think down the road, you know, Mike Elias and his crew, they're going to look for talent wherever they can find it. I think the question just becomes, yes, you can, you know, sign players as international free agents who are not going to cost you as much money. You know, the Orioles had to go after Wada and Wei-Yin Chen and Hunsu Kim after they were already established veteran professional stars over in Korea and Japan. But there are younger guys who will also sign out of countries in Asia with major league teams at a much younger age. There was even an example this weekend when the international signing period opened on Saturday as the big name was Chowan Bin, who signed with the St. Louis Cardinals, an 18-year-old high school prospect out of South Korea who actually declined to be drafted in the KBO draft last year because he had aspirations of signing professionally in the States, and he did just that and ended up signing with the Cardinals. So it still is a way to possibly get talent. And I think, to be honest with you, that is the way that Mike Elias and crew would probably go after players in Asia over the next couple of years, is potentially players like Chowan Bin, teenagers who don't want to go to the KBO, think they have the talent to come right to the States, play in the minor leagues for a couple of years, and be ready for Major League Baseball. I think that's what we would see. Now, I'm not saying that takes the Orioles out of sweepstakes for players in the next couple of years, like Suzuki, like Hassan Kim, who come over and are already established in either Japan or Korea playing professionally. But it seems like, you know, depending on how much the Angelos family and whoever the owners may be are willing to let the O's spend in the international market in terms of established players who are going to come right to the big leagues, maybe they aren't as aggressive. But here's the thing. You know, a player that the Orioles signed on Saturday was Cesar Prieto, and we talked about him on Friday's episode. We had Phil Selig of CubaDugout.com on the pod to talk about Prieto, the 22-year-old Cuban second baseman that hit over 400 in the Cuban Professional League last year and signed with the Orioles for about $700,000. You know, he's 22. He's a pretty advanced hitter. There's thoughts that if all goes well for him, you know, he's not going to be on the opening day roster, but he could be in the big leagues by the end of 2022 with the Orioles. So he's a, you know, not completely major league ready, but a lot closer to major league ready than a lot of the 16 and 17 year olds that the Orioles signed out of the Dominican Republic on Saturday. So those are still open to signing players who are closer to the big leagues. But the question is, will they shell out that big money for the guys like a Suzuki, you know, the the next, you know, Otani light who comes over and is not as talented as Otani, but is one of the best players maybe in Japan and wants to come to the U.S. I don't know if the O's do that, but I could maybe see them doing more deals that were kind of similar to the way in Chen signings where, you know, Chen was an under the radar prospect, I feel like in that year, especially because you Darvish was coming over at the same time. And the Orioles scooped up a pitcher who was really, really good for them for four seasons. And I could see Elias doing something like that. Now, I don't think it's imminent, but at some point down the road, look, Mike Elias and, and his staff, they're going to look for talent wherever they can find it. And uh, there is a lot of baseball talent uh, in multiple Asian countries, not just Japan, not just Korea. And uh, I think the O's are going to look for it and I think they will sign players. But you have to remember, it almost feels like the Orioles are doing catch up in terms of signing players out of the Dominican Republic at the moment. So uh, they're trying to build back up that entire pipeline and then continue across the world as well.
But we've got one more question to answer here on a Mailbag Monday, and it's about giveaways at Camden Yard. So talk about some of my favorite ones, ones that I actually have and ones that I wish I was there to get. That's coming up after the break. So we'll get to our third and final mailbag question of the day in just a second. But first, let's talk about betonline.ag, which would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march into the playoffs and beyond in the NFL. Now, we just had wildcard weekend already wrap up, but still another game tonight with the Cardinals at the Rams for the final game of wildcard weekend. And you've still got time to place your bets on that one over at betonline.ag. .ag, which remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. And with a new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today, and you can receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at that brand new site. Just use our promo code Locked On to get started and get your 50% welcome bonus. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, and you do it at betonline.ag, where the game starts. So our final question on today's Mailbag Monday episode comes from Kevin Brown via Twitter. Again, not Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown, but great fan of the podcast Kevin Brown, who has asked plenty of questions before, and we thank him once again for sending in these mailbag questions. And Kevin says, so we still find ourselves wearing old Bergeson and Birkin giveaway shirts. So what's your favorite giveaway of all time? And first of all, I got a shout out to Kevin for bringing up the old Jason Birkin and Brad Bergeson giveaway shirts. I mean, you know, the... the essentially rotation from 2010 and 2011 for the Orioles, and especially Brad Bergeson, who we all thought was going to be good for a while. That obviously did not end up working out because of injuries and other things. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I remember having those shirts. I had a Cesar's Taurus one as well from the giveaways. But I wanted to talk about first the giveaways that I've gotten that I just love that I have. And, you know, I didn't rank all these because, you know, I was looking through the closet to find some of the giveaways that I have, and I don't know if I identified all of them, but just some of the highlights uh, that, you know, I either have displayed or that I was, you know, able to dig up. Um, some of the big ones, first of all, this takes me back to, I believe this was the 2011 season. The Orioles gave out bobbleheads throughout the year, but they were three different bobbleheads that you actually tried to get all three of them because they connected into a set, and it was the Orioles outfield. It was Adam Jones in center catching a ball and blowing a bubble, and then it was Nick Markakis about to throw a ball in right field and Nolan Reimold about to catch a ball in left field. And there were three different dates, like one in the spring, one in the summer, and one, you know, towards the fall at the end of the season, where they gave away, you know, one piece of the outfield. And I ended up with all three of the outfield bobblehead. So I have the connected set. Now, a couple of them are broken. I've got somebody's head is off the springs and somebody's arm has broken off. But I've got Rymold, Jones, and Markakis uh, in the outfield on the dresser. And honestly, that's one of my favorites. Just the fact that, you know, you had to collect all three and I was somehow able to uh, to get all three of them. That's definitely a good one that was there. Another one I've got displayed uh, was one of the more popular ones I remember was the Buck Showalter Garden Gnome. Uh, that was back in, obviously, the Buck heyday of the Orioles run. And I want to say, going back, I don't think there has been an Orioles giveaway. Now, I could be wrong. And if you want to let me know, you know, let us know on Twitter. But 
I don't think there's been an Orioles giveaway where I have seen trying to be resold for more money on eBay than the Buck Showalter Garden Gnome. I mean, I've seen that thing listed for like 150 and above on eBay. And uh, the Garden Gnome is a fantastic one to have. I've got some good bobbleheads. I've got a Brian Roberts, uh, Zach Britton bobblehead that were giveaways that I have as well. Uh, the bobble outfield was great. Uh, but the Buck Showalter Garden Gnome, definitely a good one. I also have uh, some good t-shirts uh, that they gave away the the why not t-shirts that they gave away in 2019 uh, for the 30th anniversary of the Orioles 1989 why not team uh, that is a really good one uh, it's like a nice looking vintage t-shirt comfortable as well um, I've got the t-shirt as well that commemorates the 50th anniversary of the 1966 World Series team that they gave away at a game back in 2016 that's a good t-shirt as well and uh, I've also got uh, one of my favorites from 2019. They gave away a Walk with Elias t-shirt, which, of course, is a reference uh, to the WWE wrestler Elias, who actually came to Camden Yards and threw out a pitch in 2019. And, of course, it is also the play on Walk with Elias, Mike Elias trying to lead the Orioles back. And uh, that was kind of like a limited giveaway t-shirt uh, that I ended up with as well. So that was definitely uh, a good one in the closet. I've got, I've got one or two of the bucket hats. You know, that's always everybody's favorite. Uh, I do have one of the Orioles Hawaiian shirts. I know that uh, is a favorite of many as well. Got a couple of hats that they've given away uh, over the years. So just kind of a, a good assortment. I also have uh, the bobblehead from this year when they had the Hall of Fame induction ceremony and the Oriole Bird was put into the Mascot Hall of Fame and he got his own bobblehead commemorating that. Uh, I have that one from this season as well. Now, there's definitely a couple uh, that I wish I could have gotten that I didn't. I've never been to any of the jersey giveaway games. You know, almost every year they've given away some sort of jersey. Um, I know a couple of different years it was like uh, with, with Maryland flag piping in it or they gave away a Machado jersey or J.J. Hardy jersey. Or I know they gave up a, a throwback-looking Brooks Robinson World Series jersey that I always wanted as well. Um, the John Means Business bobblehead, uh, the bobblehead with him wearing the suit to commemorate his no-hitter from this year, definitely a good one that I do not have. And then, you know, I always liked that they gave away the Orioles fanny pack. Uh, I believe that was either this year or 2019, one that I did not get. Uh, but I don't think I've ever worn a fanny pack, but I think if I got the Orioles fanny pack, I'd probably wear it to Camden Yards just to uh, shout out to that giveaway. But yeah, there's been a lot of good ones uh, at Camden Yards, and thanks, Kevin, for the question. Uh, if I miss some big ones, some good ones, uh, tweet us in, email us, you know, lockedonorioles at gmail.com, at lockedonorioles. Let's get it going. You know, what's your favorite uh, giveaway that you've gotten at Oriole Park at Camden Yards? Definitely let us know on Twitter this week. And of course, if you would like to submit a mailbag question to be answered on a mailbag Monday episode in the future here throughout the offseason, uh, you can email us at lockedonorioles at gmail.com to send in those questions. You can tweet the questions to us uh, at lockedonorioles or at Connor Newcomb underscore, or you can DM either of those accounts. The DMs are open for the mailbag questions. And also, this is a way I love to get mailbag questions. You can leave them in the reviews section of the Apple Podcasts app. So if you go to the Locked on Orioles page on Apple Podcasts, podcast scroll down to leave a rating and a review leave a rating hopefully a five-star rating and then in that section where you can leave a review write in a mailbag question there as well and we will answer it on a future mailbag monday episode in terms of the rest of the week got some good content 
coming at you this week. Coming up on Friday to end the week, we're going to continue our Comparing the Rebuild series. Been hearing from a lot of people, actually, that you guys are really liking that series. It's going to continue not just with teams currently in rebuild phases, but also teams that have previously been in rebuild phases, including the Houston Astros. Uh, we're going to take a deep look into all of those rebuilds and compare what the Orioles are doing now. Uh, but this Friday, we're taking a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, which I think is the team currently that is most on track uh, with the Orioles timeline. I would say the O's are probably about a year ahead of the Pirates as we talk about, but it's a really interesting conversation uh, with Ethan Smith, the host of Locked on Pirates, who is back on the pod for that one. But coming up on Wednesday for our next episode, special guest once again, an Orioles minor leaguer is coming on the podcast as we have Nick Vespi coming on the pod to talk about his journey through JUCO baseball, getting drafted by the Orioles and climbing all the way up through the system to AAA. We do talk about him not getting added to the 40-man roster this offseason, his thoughts about being eligible for the Rule 5 draft and potentially you know, being on another team in spring training. We talk about how his pitches, his repertoire have developed throughout his career. We talk about the pitchers he is always excited to watch that are also in the Orioles system. And of course, we answer the question, does Nick have the best hair in the Orioles system. So that's all coming up on Wednesday when Orioles minor league left-handed pitcher Nick Vespi joins the show. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.